it's actually really lovely to have um, just Lord Shiva's presence because everything we've been talking about in the Gita really kind of supports more the path of the yogi, of the really austere, really in control, completely in command of himself, of his consciousness, of his reactive process. And that's what Shiva really epitomizes. He responds to that. That very image of his being is one of one who's completely self-possessed. Krishna tends to be a little bit more uh, outwardly relaxed and lighter, which is beautiful because that's how we, of course, have to express ourselves in this world. But Shiva is almost the energy of the inside, and Krishna gets to be the energy being expressed outwardly, that inwardly you're just so untouched, but outwardly you can feel like everything's just wonderful, everything's beautiful. You can engage in absolutely any activity you want. There was a saint once, Narayani and I met, his name is Swami Gyanananda. He was also a Kriya Yogi from the same tradition. And uh, he talked about his favorite aspect of Krishna, of Vishnu, was that of Badri Narayan, if you've ever been to Badrinath. And he says it's because it's the only aspect of Vishnu in which Vishnu is meditating and we're worshipping Vishnu as a meditator. And he says, that's because this is the state where Vishnu becomes Shiva. That's that moment, is that perfect union of the two. Because we like to really separate these guys and say, yeah, here is Vishnu is in his Vaikund and Shiva Vichara is in his austere cave. But, you know, that's where the two become, unite together in the form of Badri Narayan. And so maybe that's the energy we can tune into today especially that meditating Lord Vishnu. And of course, what everything Krishna has been telling us is about go inside, go inside, go inside. What are you doing, Arjuna? What are you doing? Thinking that this play is happening on the outside. The very battle that we're dealing with of the Mahabharata is a battle of our consciousness between those two opposing forces that tend to um, kind of interact and force our reactive realities with the world, sometimes great, Sometimes not so good, sometimes want something greatly, sometimes we resist so much. And those forces are constantly at play and we're kind of a little bit of puppets to those forces. And so when Arjuna first approaches Krishna, you know, what should I do? Should I engage in this or should I not engage in it? Krishna really cuts that whole process out. He says about neither because no matter if you engage in it or not, you'll still remain a puppet. And Krishna then starts to reveal to Arjuna what it really means to disengage entirely from the reactive process. And we've got ourselves now to chapter 11. We've been building up every chapter. Krishna reveals another layer of understanding of, you know, just a deeper way to attune ourselves, to connect ourselves with God in this particular uh, version to Krishna as that representative of the divine reality. But of course, this is an infinite reality that Krishna wants us to attune to. And so in chapter 11, after all of this, after Arjuna has been going deeper and deeper, and Krishna being that intuitive, inner guiding, guiding perceptive, just starts revealing to him in his own meditation what truth is. Now we've got to the point where Krishna gets to reveal, this is the moment Arjuna has an experience of samadhi, essentially. This is the divine vision where he gets to see Krishna in his Vishwarup, in this Virat Rup where he gets to really experience what cosmic consciousness is like. Up till this point, he's been relating to Krishna 
in a more personal way, as his guru, as his guide, as his friend. And so we've gone through half of the chapter. We've had this beautiful moment where Arjuna, just in complete awe of Krishna, just starts describing what he's seeing. Oh, you of, you know, countless limbs and countless eyes and galaxies are passing through you. So, of course, he's having this really immense, infinite moment, a little bit more than he can handle. So he just goes into this as monologue almost of explaining what he is experiencing. But he ends his explanation, and this is the most beautiful part really of this chapter for me, is after all of that, he asks Krishna in that state, who art thou, Lord? What is thy cosmic will? What is thy purpose? To what end has all this been done? Isn't it a question? It's, it's such a common question. I mean, <laughs> this is amazing, but why? Why any of this? You know, why go ahead and create this really confusing reality? Isn't this, I mean, why not already give us the bliss that I'm experiencing right now? What's the whole purpose of all of this? And of course, there's no clear or at least no satisfying intellectual answer you know, that will say, ah, that makes perfect sense to us. But Krishna really picks it up, you know, he doesn't, he almost doesn't even address the expansive, what is my will, what is the entire purpose of this cosmos. And he picks it up from a very interesting uh, thread. He says, Krishna responds, the blessed Lord said, I am Kal, I am time. Disguised as endless doom, I come. And this is in fact interesting because here you've got Shiva, which really is that manifestation of, you know, the dissolution and the destruction of everything. His consort is Kali, who is the very Shakti of Kal, the Shakti of time, the power behind time. And that's who Shiva is married to. I seize, I obliterate, even were you not to fight. And he brings it back to that very first moment. That's where the Gita really starts from. Arjuna is confused, should I fight or should I not fight? And so Krishna comes back to that point because it's really not about what's the point of all this creation, what's this you know, grand thing. It's really about what's my particular you know, relationship to all this creation. Even if somebody were to explain to us why this entire universe exists, we're still here. <laughs> we still have to deal with it. We still have to continue. We still have to wake up in the morning and brush our teeth and go, you know, to, go work. to work. I mean, it's just... Just having an intellectual understanding doesn't um, take away the responsibility of actually figuring out our individual purpose. So Krishna really brings it back to Arjuna and is not addressing that. You know, He's addressing it like, I'm just time. <laughs> I look like I'm doomed. I look like I'm just going to obliterate it all because everything's going to end one way or the other. Even were you not to fight these foes you gaze upon at Kurukshetra, would perish, Arjuna, slain by my mighty will. So, even if you were not to engage in this particular dharma that you have, it'll, get its, it'll find its way to fulfill itself. Which is several ways of saying this. One, A, in fact, let me read the next line because then I'll be able to tie it all together even better. Indeed, I slew them long ago. Let's read this again. Even were you not to fight these foes that you gaze upon at Kurukshetra, 
would perish, Arjuna, slain by my mighty will. Indeed, I slew them long ago. So Krishna, of course, is saying, you know, I'm eternal. So everything that you're seeing, you think these people are alive. But in my own existence, they're both alive. They're both already dead. This whole battle has already happened. You know, everything that needed to be to manifest from it has already taken place. So you're not that important one. You know, sometimes we're just too, what's my purpose and what do I really need to do? Because I feel God wants me to express something amazing in this world, which is really an egoic kind of like trying to say, Ki bhai, you are very good and you're very special. You know, just, okay, you're not that important, Arjuna. Even if you decide you're not going to slay these people, don't worry, I've already done that. But that also means that, because we're not talking about outer foes that Arjuna is slaying, right? We're talking about the, the inner Kauravas, that downward pulling force. Krishna is already saying, you're already in me. This is, the battle's already won. You've already achieved Satchitananda. You're already one with me. So that's not even the point here, is whether you will, you know, whether you end up actually defeating them or you don't. Indeed, I slew them long ago. We You are but my instrument. And what does that instrument mean? What does Krishna think an instrument means? Your destiny is to carry out my will. Now that's where it gets confusing because like, yeah, that's the whole point. What's your will? <laughs> that's what I don't really know. Why won't you just tell me what your will is? But again, I mean, Krishna is just really practical. And also he has to make this whole thing very, I mean, it's not about Arjuna, right? It's about us. He's not telling Arjuna what Arjuna's particular destiny is. He's talking about us. So you have to keep his will very open for all of us to be able to relate to that will. I need you not. It is you, Arjuna, who have need of me. Again, just very humbling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, you're not that important here, remember. <laughs> you see, which is uh, one thing Swamiji would say to us, our teacher Swami Kriyananda, he said, Babaji is always looking for channels to help manifest his will in the world. And if you refuse to be his channel, he's just going to find somebody else. So the onus falls on us to say, pick me, pick me, pick me. No, please, yes, I'm willing. I will be your instrument. Because if we say, you know what, I don't think I want to fight. I don't think this makes sense to me. Okay, who's next? Because their will is going to manifest one way or the other. Question is, is it going to be through us or is it going to be through the other guy? And that's really all that's going on over here. Are we going to stand up and step up and say, all right, I'm going to take this on and it's not going to be easy and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to take this on nonetheless. Or, yeah, then we'll try next lifetime, no big deal. It's already happened anyway, so yeah, we can come back to it. And that's also, it's like, no pressure. You come back to it. You know, I've already done this. You come back to it when you're ready again. And lots of people start the spiritual path, super gung-ho about it all, and then it starts getting a little hard, <laughs> and then starts question about, do I really have to fight? <laughs> you know, Because remember what the fight is. The fight is, we want these great realities, we want bliss, but we don't want to let go of our littlenesses. I still want to be lazy, I still want to be selfish. Oh, I want God, but I also want a lot of money. <laughs> you know, And I also want to be very well known. And I want everyone to like me. And you know, it's just like, so you've got this upward aspiration, 
but one hand's really firmly holding on and saying, ye nahi chodne wala. I want all of this to come with me. And Krishna says, no, you can't do that. You know, this is the fight. Because we all want great things, but we also want all our tiny little things to kind of come with us into that greatness. So then, of course, he says, I know the past, present, and future of all men. And this is the final, this is the most powerful sentence in this entire chapter for me. Make war for me. That's, that's his message. Make war for me. Which means you have to do this all. This is what it means to be an instrument. You have to do it all. You have to fulfill whatever is before you. But you have to do it for me. We're not making war because I have to make war because, oh, this has to be done. The entire idea of being an instrument is that we're doing it for Krishna. Which means I have to allow Krishna to do it through me. Make war because you love me above all else. Means you're going to have to fight this no matter what. You're going to have to engage. You're going to have to let go of your littlenesses. You're going to have to keep pushing your life force upward. And it's going to be hard, but you're doing it for me. And that's all you need to know. And that's your purpose. And that's my will. And so for you, what does that war mean? Could be different for what that war means for me, for somebody else. Somebody's war is at the office. Somebody's war is internal. Somebody's war is in their relationships. Somebody's war is with prosperity. But the real point being, make war for me. And that becomes our bottom line. And everything that I do, who am I doing this for, becomes the real question. And then it doesn't so much matter. Am I succeeding? Because as Krishna says, I've already slowed them. I mean, they're all dead. But the question is, will you engage and make war for me? Or will you not? Because if you won't, then I'll get the next guy in. Because you... I don't need <laughs> me, you need. So, you know, let's get the equation right here. Because you can continue on lifetime after lifetime. You can stay in this flow if you want. But if you want to fight, then you have to make war for me. Not just because it's, you know, important. Ah, I need money, so I'm going to make this war. Because it's all a war, right? You have to go to work, it's a war. You put out energy, it's a war. It's, nobody's wanting to put out energy. <laughs> Every day we go and work on a project. Nobody's like saying, oh man, I love this project and I just want to be unhappy all the time and I want to put a lot of stressful moments. No, but you make war in that moment, but we make war because some money will come, some prestige will come, some random arbitrary um, reward that we hope will make this war worth it. And Krishna is saying it's not about what you're going to get. You just make this war for me and I don't care if you win or lose. Because I've already killed all your foes. So it's not even that hard anymore. But you still have to engage. And that's really the entire theme of the Gita, isn't it? From the very beginning, Arjuna asks, do I need to fight? And Krishna says, yes. Because as a spiritual aspirant, we'd very much like not to have to engage with the world. It's so much easier for us to say, can I just slink away in a corner somewhere and pretend to meditate? <laughs> you know, for 15-20 minutes and can that be my job? <laughs> you know, can that be all you expect of me? And of course, Krishna doesn't let us off that easily. Make war for me if you would embrace eternal life, victory and bliss. 
that's the goal. That's the reward. You want money or do you want eternal bliss? And that's our choice. And that's the fight. And we have to choose not necessarily one over the other because everything's part of Krishna, isn't it? So everything will come as long as you make war for me. And then whatever needs to happen, whatever you need to get. I mean, Arjuna was a great prince. I mean, he lived in... I mean, Krishna himself was a king and a kingmaker. So it has nothing to do with, with the outward realities of our life. It is just about who am I doing this for? And that becomes the central theme of the Gita. Now we come back to Sanjaya, which is again a very important reality in Yogananda's explanations of the Gita. That the Gita isn't really being... I mean, it's happening between Krishna and Arjuna, but it's not Krishna and Arjuna who are revealing the Gita. It is Sanjaya who is revealing the Gita. Right? And Sanjaya is sitting far away with Dhritarashtra, who is the blind king. And we went through this. Dhritarashtra represents the mind, which is blind because it needs the senses to feed it. Sanjaya represents introspection. The very name Sanjaya means complete victory. And so what happens is when we are unable to kind of overcome our issues or full, fully kind of understand our lessons or our karmas, when we introspect, we're able to once again live that same process and gain from it and receive victory even without having engaged in it. That opportunity is gone, but if I can introspect again, I can actually come back to that moment, learn the lesson, done. So that complete victory comes when it's internally as well, when we look back at it and we still are able to see it for exactly what it was and draw that lesson and understanding from it. And so it is really our introspective mind, the internalized mind, which is Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya together, that's having this experience. That is why, that is how Yogananda said, the allegorical understanding comes, that it's an inner experience, that it's not actually happening outward on a real battlefield. Sanjaya said, thus hearing Arjuna, with folded hands, trembling in awe, prostrated before Krishna and spoke these words. O Krishna, rightly does the world rejoice in thy glory. The demons, terrified in vain, seek refuge from thy wrath. And the multitudes of perfected beings bow in surrender of true worship. And Arjuna goes on a couple of more verses. A lot of the... Gita, and a lot of our Indian scriptures are just praising God, isn't it? Just telling him who you are, <laughs> just kind of saying oh, how great you are, and in this version, this is how you are, and this is, this is how you are. The very names that they use are always describing some victory, some aspect of their qualities that they hold. And as we said before in the Gita, I just love the way they do that. It's so encouraging. When Krishna uh, um, addresses Arjuna, he always addresses him as the, you know, scorcher of foes, you know, victory over sleep, he who has overcome the carping spirit, always something that says, you know, this is who you truly are. When Swamiji would give us or give certain people spiritual names in Ananda, he'd always look, he said, I'll always meditate on the quality that this person could perfect in this lifetime. And he'd give him that particular name so that through that name, you're always reminded of that quality over and over because we're so identified with our names, aren't we? That each time somebody hears that particular vibration of qualities, just remind, ah, that's where I'm trying to go. That's who I'm trying to become. And I just feel it's such a wonderful way to relate to people, always to see their absolute highest and address them as such. He who has, oh, you who have, and keep bringing that energy up. 
And a lot of scripture is about praising. Just a lot of it is about praise, which is a beautiful, just a beautiful teaching in itself. Always just looking at an individual and being able to lift them up and say, this is what you've achieved. This is who you truly are. This is how I see you. Not because you've actually done it all. It's not like Arjuna was perfect, but Krishna saw him as perfect and addressed him as perfect. And so you've got two, three other verses, which we won't go into because it's just, again, Arjuna just enjoying and loving Krishna and just talking about, you are this and you are that and you are it all. But then we come to verse 40, where he says, Hail to thee in front, behind and everywhere, boundless in power and immeasurable in might. Thou art in all and therefore thou art all. Now, this is not a conversation Arjuna is actually having with Krishna. These are realizations Arjuna is receiving in his meditation. This is the state where after having a samadhi experience, the spiritual aspirant realizes that this experience isn't just about, it's about my meditation, but it's an experience of actual unity with all of creation. And so he realizes when he's saying, thou art in all, thou art all, he suddenly realizes that God has never been this particular form. My guru has never been, you know, contained in this form that he's addressing as Krishna. Thou art actually in absolutely everything. Up till this point, Krishna has been saying this over and over again. I am here, I am there, I am in this person, I am in that person. You know, he's just been kind of building this energy up. Now Arjuna finally says, Thou art all. He has that absolute realization. And when he has that realization, I love what he says to Krishna. For whatever disrespect I may have shown you in jest, addressing you as friend, companion, Krishna, Yadava, speaking carelessly, though with affection, and for any irreverence I may have shown you light-heartedly, O unshakable Lord, while eating, resting, walking, when we sat together by ourselves, or in the company of others, for all such unintended slights, ah, never intended, O illimitable Lord, I beg your forgiveness. Who is Krishna, who is Arjuna talking to? He's actually no longer talking to Krishna as an individual. He's now addressing all creation. If I have ever done anything by calling you less than you were, he suddenly realizes, God's been all around me. He's been my friend, he was my companion, he was my brother, he was my... How have I been treating him? I mean, he suddenly has that realization that God's just been all around me all the time while eating, while resting, while walking, when I'm with you, when I'm alone, when I'm with somebody else, when I'm in somebody's company, for everything that I may have done to cause unintended slight, because it was never my intention, forgive me. Isn't that just such a beautiful moment to have? The sudden realization that every individual, every person in my life was Krishna, is Krishna. And how have I treated them and what have I looked at them as and how have I, oh, you are just my friend and so you're, you're not so important and you're just whoever you were and suddenly you realize, I shouted at Krishna here and I spoke rudely to Krishna here and I took Krishna for granted here. And it's just such an amazing realization 
again, this is not just words from Arjuna. This is, it's like, oh my goodness, what have I been doing? And that's what we want to really feel and realize. That's the power that we want to unite with. Not some arbitrarily vague, oh, I want to see light in my meditation and I want to, you know, experience those X, Y, and Z siddhis. I want to realize that God's always been with me and has always been around me and how have I been treating him all this while? And I love that's the first thing he does. The moment he realizes that God's been everywhere, the first thing he does is he asks for his forgiveness for how he treated God in all those different ways. It's just very sweet. It's very real. Very humble. Very present. Oh, wow. Acha. Father of all beings, thou of animate and inanimate alike, none is worthy of worship but thee, O Guru Sublime. This is where Arjuna really realizes Krishna to be his Guru. Up till this time, he is, of course, he said, You're my friend, you're my companion, you're a Yadava, which means you're related to me by birth. And now he comes to the realization. This is the first time he really addresses Krishna as his Guru. Unequaled by anyone in the three worlds, who can surpass thee, O Lord? Therefore, O thou infinitely adorable, again, I just like, love these terms, O you who are infinitely adorable. I mean, just such sweetness in this relationship. Again, these aren't words that Arjuna is saying. These are experiences he's having. He's experiencing God as this infinite adoration that he's feeling for God in that moment. I cast myself abjectly at thy feet, imploring thy pardon. As father to his son, as a friend to a dear friend, as a lover to his beloved, do thou, beloved Lord, forgive me. Again, he comes into these relationships. Just a reminder of the fact that how we're treating the people around us, what our relationships to them is, as a father to a son, when Yogananda gave us the prayer that we do before every meditation, before everything we do, he always starts with this. Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Friend, Beloved God. And he says these four relationships have to be reminded again and again because it's not the relationship that you're kind of trying to build with God alone. It's the relationship that God already has with you around you all the time. Your father, your mother, your friend, and your beloved. These four realities... Once we perfect these relationships, we'll really know the love of God that we're seeking inwardly. Overjoyed I am by this cosmic vision, never before beheld. Yet, I confess, my mind is not free from terror. So, he's had this really infinite experience, but Arjuna is like, ah, When we talked about in the last class, Yogananda describing the experience of Samadhi as a shock of liberation. It's like it, sometimes the body itself physically can't handle it. When you're going into deep meditation and when you first experience breathlessness, the first instinct is fear. Oh, my breath just stopped and you want to step out of it. It's like you're staring at the abyss and that infinity sometimes is too much for our minds to even be able to handle. And so Arjuna is having that moment right now. He's like, you know, I must confess, my mind is not free from terror. It's too overwhelming to be able to suddenly 
have an experience where you're united with absolutely everything else. Suddenly your consciousness is absolutely everywhere and not just in this body. And so he says, be merciful to me, O Lord of gods. Show me thyself once again in thy limited human form. He just says, wapis Okay, I had this experience where I need to come back now because I'm not yet ready to experience omnipresence. Just in my meditation, I was able to expand my consciousness. But now, as my own you know, sense of self returns to me, I need you to come back because it's more than I can handle. And it's a very real experience you have in meditation. Anytime you're going deep into any technique, you'll see there'll be a wall of fear because just beyond that, there's too much that your mind cannot experience in that moment. And so you have to just return back to that and say, all right, I can handle. And then each time we meditate, we try to push that wall of fear just a little bit more, just a little bit more, experiencing more and more and more until that dissolves entirely. Should we stop here? We're already at 8.15. After you. Or should we just see what see goes what from here? Goes. I long to see thee, O Krishna, in the form that is familiar to most, four-armed Vishnu, diademed with his mace and discus held aloft. So he says, that's the vision I have of you. So can you come back to that vision? Can you come back to that experience? O Lord of thousand arms, because right now <laughs> Krishna has way too many arms, for the reassurance of many, I love this, this line, for the reassurance of many, appear to me now in that known shape. In early chapters, Krishna said, however you think of me or approach me, that is how I will come to you. To a Christian, the omnipresent consciousness comes as Christ. To a Shivite comes as Shiva, to a Vaishnavite would come as perhaps in this form. To those who address divine, the divine as their mother, they come in that feminine form. And so that's the reality that we build. Our relationship with God is a very personal relationship. And so if you have a particular version or a vision or an image that you worship, as long as you realize you're truly worshiping the infinite, that's how God will come to you again and again. To us, he will come to us as our Guru, come to us as Babaji, because that's the image of the infinite that we kind of attune ourselves. That's the window through which infinity becomes e more easily available to us. The Blessed Lord said, by my grace, exercising my yoga power, I have revealed to you as to none other this supreme form of mind, radiant and infinite. I have revealed to you as to none other. Does that mean that nobody else has ever had this experience? I mean, nobody else has had samadhi or nobody else has seen God in his infinite uh, root? Well, it doesn't mean that, but it also does mean that God comes to each of us individually in a completely unique way. Master said, no to even saints who have the same amount of realization were completely united to the divine, even their way of connecting to that infinite divine is unique and individual. What they're experiencing may be the same bliss, but the way that they're experiencing is always going to be unique. God's always going to reveal himself to you in just a particular way that's yours. And that's again a very, very sweet feeling. 
just like that's that's the relationship it's a very real relationship it's not just we're not trying to become some random vague oh, i have to become this consciousness this consciousness is a is a very personal living very compassionate reality and it's attuned to you individually it's catered to you individually and so the relationship you have to form is that kind of very deep very personal even with the guru the relationship narayani and i share it's going to be very different the way i relate to yogananda versus where the way she relates to it it's a very individual reality what he reveals to me what he reveals to her maybe you know similar on the on the level of consciousness but not similar on the level of experience and that's a very again very sweet sweet thought to contemplate even when you meditate call out to god and say come to me in the way that you want to come to me in the way that i need to see you as and then you allow a lot more space for him to reveal in little ways himself to you through meditation i think this is a wonderful place to just kind of pause and see if narayani has any thoughts to bring these again vast somewhat vague somewhat perhaps beyond our current state of awareness realities and see if there's a some practical step we can take to attune to this a little bit more today i particularly liked that one sentence that i'm going to take this week as my main mantra when krishna is saying to arjuna arjuna you are that my instrument what does it mean for me to be an instrument of krishna daily how can i'm going to manifest that into everything i do and not just with those people that i like that i feel comfortable with that i'm already accustomed to do that but how can i become a pure instrument for that consciousness that the world right now is needing the most and i was thinking one of the very simple things that each one of us can do is to become much more aware and much more conscious in how we are helping other people especially the people around us and once again know those people that we like to help we like to help know those people that we want for them to see how much we are helping but what about those people that we are already taking for granted and let's say for example our mates how do we even look at them how do we look at them every time they come to our home what about our cook what about our guru bhais what about that person that is helping me on set how i'm treating those people around me every look we give to someone counts you can become an instrument for krishna's love or not and that's up to each one of us so i would say if the whole purpose of our life the whole purpose is to become an instrument why not every day we wake up with that mission in mind
today my mission is going to be to make somebody else's life easier. I don't care who, but if I see someone in need, I'm going to become an instrument. If I have the choice to leave my plate on the table so my mate can come and pick it up, perhaps today I'm going to take that plate and I'm going to bring it to the kitchen. If I have a choice to not to talk to somebody because I dislike a little bit, today my purpose is going to say something nice. Perhaps a compliment that I have never said before. If I'm living with my parents and I'm bored about them and I'm just, you know, not paying attention, perhaps today I'm going to spend half an hour with them. And my way of serving them is going to give them some of my time. And I'm going to be with them 100%. And all the other things are going to be put aside because I'm giving myself, I'm becoming an instrument for those people. So go through your life. The people that you are working with, the people you are living, those who you are interacting daily, especially those people that you don't consider them important in your life. And thanks to them, your life functions perfectly. Perhaps right now is the time to become more aware and expand your consciousness and include more people in your life because Krishna is in them and he perhaps wants to help them, to inspire them, and he needs you to do that. So don't underestimate any situation as a potential of inner transformation. It is not Krishna. It is not us that we need certain things. He needs us to become his instrument. So what about if tomorrow each one of us can decide, can make a point today, I'm going to dedicate this day of my life to serve, to help absolutely everyone I will meet. And I'm choosing this consciously. That takes courage. That takes courage. So see how you can perhaps tomorrow explore this relationship with Krishna. Because in the act of serving, you are developing a relationship and letting Krishna know, I want to be used. You use me. I'm here for a reason. Don't choose anyone else. Choose me. Allow me to feel what it means to unite myself with the person that you are bringing in my life. This takes a lot of awareness and it takes a lot of energy. 
but this is what the spiritual path is all about. This is what inner transformation is all about. You always put more energy and take a step farther and come out of your comfort zone. So I would say that tomorrow I'm going to practice this as I have never done it before. And, and, and I see how it works. I'm, I'm curious to see if I can make of this a, a daily practice and perfect the art of valuing, loving, accepting, and inviting absolutely everyone who is making my life uh, in the way it is. Okay. Well, 